Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you that we can take time in it to actually consider your word in community with brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we pray that you may help us to understand what your word has said. May you be with me. May I be clear in what I say, because your Holy Spirit is speaking through me this morning. And we pray that as we look at your word, it may strengthen us and encourage us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ, and to hang on to him with all our souls. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think we recognise that in this world there's different types of certain things, and sometimes we get confused over what is the right type that we should be after. One example of that would be what Jill and I are trying to do at the moment in evaluating different types of diets. We are trying to be a little bit more careful by what we eat and how we exercise. And of course, when it comes to the subject of diets, there's no fast, true method that everybody swears by. People have different ideas about fastings. People have different ideas about different types of food. People have different ideas about how often you should eat through the day. And so we have all these diets that are thrown at us that we are considering as to which one is the best for us to use. And so there's different teachings about different diets, about different foods that we should eat and different exercises that you should do if you want to keep good control of your uh, intake of food and uh, good care of your body. And this morning we're going to look at the subject of different types of baptisms. Because when it comes to the subject of baptism, it's not necessarily a clear thing that we can understand if there are different types going on in the Bible. And that is what we're going to look at this morning, the different types of baptism in the Bible, and particularly because as we come to Hebrews chapter 6, we see that there is reference to different baptisms. We've been slowly working through Hebrews and we've come to Hebrews chapter 6 and we're up to verse 2. Verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 6. I encourage you, if you've got a black church Bible, have it open there to page 1187. 1187. And we read from Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1. It says, Therefore let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, Instruction about baptisms, baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment and God permitting, we will do so. Why does he say baptisms here? Not baptism. Why plural, not singular? Well, that brings me to my first main point this morning. Different baptisms were in the early church. Different baptisms were in the early church or in the New Testament. And so it's not surprising that he says baptisms here because of possible confusion, possible different teaching. It's interesting the word teaching is there or instruction, instruction about baptisms. Different instruction was circulating about the subject of baptism. How do we know there were different baptisms? Well, firstly, the actual Greek word that is used here in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 2 is not your usual word for baptisms. In most of the New Testament... There's a word, Greek word, baptisma, and it's not found outside the New Testament. And generally speaking, we think that refers to the institution of baptism, that the Christian institution, that it's the subject of baptism. But here we have a Greek word, baptismos, not baptisma, baptismos. So you can see it's very similar, 
but it's baptismos, which people think is referring to the act of baptism, and that is actually used outside the New Testament, that Greek word. So even here within Hebrews, we've got this very rare occurrence of the word, and so that shows that there's some disagreement. And if you look up some other translations of this passage, they won't say baptism here as your New International Versions do. They say washings because they're trying to show that there's a difference here between the use of the word baptism here, this Greek word baptism, as opposed to other Greek words for baptism in the New Testament. And then if we consider the subject of baptism and different types of baptism that's going on at the time of the early church, there are quite a few different ones. There's a type of baptism that's not mentioned in the New Testament, well, probably not, and that is a baptism that was done for converts to Judaism. It wasn't like John the Baptist rocked up and had the subject of baptism and, uh, and he introduced a new idea. No, the Jews were baptizing people. They were, if, you wanted, if you were not a Jew and you wanted to become a Jew, often they would actually subject you, you'd submit, to the waters of baptism to show that you were changing religions from what you were previously to becoming a Jew. And that could be what's referred to in the other use of this Greek word. In, uh, it's here in chapter 6, verse 2 of Hebrews. It's also used in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 10, which seems to be a reference to Old Testament ceremonies. And so it's probably referring to the use of baptism by Jews for converts to Judaism. Not converts to Christianity, but converts to Judaism. And so we have that baptism that would be going on at the time of the New Testament and people would be a bit confused. Remember this book of Hebrews is written to Jews. Consequently, it's called Hebrews. It's written to Jews and they would have known something in all likelihood about baptism of converts to Judaism. So they would have had that circulating in their mind. Also, what else would they might have had in their mind when you talked about the subject of baptism? Well, of course, the baptism of John the Baptist. John came with a baptism. We read in Luke chapter 3, verse 3, it says, He, that's John, went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So these early church Christians would have been going, Okay, yeah, John's baptism. When you say baptism, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about John the Baptist. But that's not the only baptism that's mentioned in the New Testament. We also see uh, a baptism of Christians. John commands people to be baptised. Jesus also commands people to be baptised. When he, before he ascends into heaven, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, he says to his disciples, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You've got to baptise them in a very particular way. It's in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He's giving his own baptism there to the disciples to administer to the early church. And so when the people of Hebrews hear about baptism, they go, okay, Maybe they've got a bit of baggage about converse to Judaism. Maybe they've got a bit of baggage about John the Baptist's baptism. But then they also know about Jesus Christ and the baptism that he administered. But there's other baptisms mentioned in the New Testament as well. What about the baptism of the Holy Spirit that is administered by Jesus? In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, it says, John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He, and we know that is Jesus, will baptise you with the Holy Spirit 
and with fire. That's not the baptism of John the Baptist. John does it with water. What's this baptism of the Holy Spirit and with fire? And then we see, even in the New Testament, this one starts to get, we start to get even more obscure. 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 2. Many of you may not even know this one. The baptism of Moses. Do you know Moses had a baptism and it's in the New Testament? It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 2, they, that is the Israelites, were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. There's a reference to a baptism of Moses, which if these Hebrews, knew the letter of 1 Corinthians, they might know about baptism of Moses. And then in 1 Corinthians, uh, we have another one in chapter 15, baptism of the dead. This one's very obscure. I really am not sure what to make of this myself, as most theologians are uncertain as well. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 29, Paul says, Now if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptised for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptised for them? Now people think, oh, there must have been something going on in the Corinthian church, which Paul seems to approve of, where people were dying and then other people were being baptised as a substitute for them who weren't baptised while they're alive. Or maybe another interpretation to try and make better sense of it is that people are dying in the sense that we are dead in our sins and then we're baptised as dead people, but then, of course, coming alive. Now, don't ask me what it means and where I land on that. It is the only reference in the New Testament to baptism of dead people. Um, I don't really know what is going on there. But if these people in Hebrews uh, that the letter was written to had the letter of 1 Corinthians... And you say, oh, baptism. They say, oh, yeah, baptism of the dead. They may have been doing it in their church, just like they were in Corinth. And then we see controversy over baptism itself, particularly baptism of one person doing it, one apostle doing it, as opposed to another person in the church. Flip with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, which is found on uh, page 1,128. 1,128. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 from verse 11, where Paul writes, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 11, he says, My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, another, I follow Cephas, which is the Aramaic name for Peter, still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul, I am thankful that I did not baptise any of you, except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptised into my name. Oh yes, also I baptised the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptised anyone else. I love that line. He's sort of uh, thinking as he's writing, and he's like, oh, uh, rather than cross out the previous sentence, I'll just put in brackets here or clarify. Yes, I, I can't really remember anybody else. And Oh yes, I do remember that person. But you see what's happening in the Corinthian church. People are actually taking the subject of baptism and saying, I was baptised by Paul. And some people might say, I was baptised by Peter. And some people might be able to go back to, well, they might say John the Baptist, they might go back to him, or some other Christian leader that seems to have great influence in the church. And they say, "My, I was baptised by that person. And so you see that there's confusion happening in the Corinthian church over the subject of baptism. And this is before Paul even gets to the subject of the baptism of Moses and the baptism of the dead, which is going on in the church as well. There's great confusion going on in the church. And we see even confusion going on in Acts 
chapter 18, which we just read. Flip with me to Acts chapter 18, 1099 of your church Bibles. The confusion is not just in Corinth. The confusion is in other places. Acts chapter 18, verse 24. Acts chapter 18, page 1099, verse 24, we read, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. See, he was still focused on the baptism of John. And yet this guy, he knew about Jesus Christ, he knew the scriptures very well, but he was still not taught adequately on the subject of baptism and Christian baptism. And then if we go over to chapter 19, chapter 19, verse 1, we see Paul also interacts with people who only know the baptism of John. Verse 1 of chapter 19, it says, While Apollos was at Corinth... Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? Paul knows that there's different instructions going around about baptism. So he says, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. So what does Paul do? He says, oh, well, we're all good. No, verse 4. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptised into the name of the Lord Jesus. So what's going on in the early church with the subject of baptism? There's confusion about it. Because there's different types of baptism. There's different teaching about baptism circulating around. Some people are teaching the baptism of John, which I'm sure Apollos was doing until somebody actually took him aside, Priscilla and Aquila, and actually explained to him better. And the same with the other people. I mean, Paul says he found some disciples there in Ephesus. What were they teaching? They were disciples. They would have been teaching people. They would have been teaching the subject of baptism, yes. But John's baptism... And so we see Paul then take them to one side and say, no, there's another baptism. And that's the baptism of the Lord Jesus, the one that he gave us instructions about. And so you should be baptised in Christ's name. So when the author of Hebrews says, brings up the subject of baptism, it's not surprising in chapter 6, verse 2, that he says instruction about baptisms. Now, some people get all confused about this and wonder what's going on. I think he uses plural because he knows that there's all kinds of teaching about baptism circulating in the early church. And so he wants people to understand what is the subject of baptism and then what are we to do with it. So what are you to do today with the subject of baptism? What is important for you to understand? Are you supposed to know what the baptism of the dead is and we're supposed to be baptising people who are dead? or baptising people who aren't dead but for dead people? Are you supposed to be focusing on the baptism of Moses? What is important for us in in relation to baptism today, 2,000 years on from the early church? Well, that brings me to my second main point. Christian baptism is for adult believers by immersion. That is what we need to focus on. We need to focus on the baptism of the Lord Jesus. We see Paul do that. He says, okay, now, yes, John's baptism, yes, it was a valid form of baptism then, but now you've got to focus on Jesus Christ. 
And so when I do baptism classes, if someone wants to be baptised here at Dremoyne Baptist, I don't go into the baptism of Moses. I don't go into the baptism of dead people. I don't go too much into the baptism of John, although I do bring it up to help us understand the word baptised better. I focus on the baptism of Jesus Christ. And I focus on what we know from the New Testament about the baptism of Jesus Christ, Christian baptism. And I firmly believe, as a Baptist, which isn't surprising, we're in a Baptist church, that what I say in my second main point, baptism is for adult believers by immersion. Why do I say that? Well, who should be baptised? What does the Bible teach us about who should be baptised? Well, it teaches us that it's for those who repent and believe. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter replied, Repent, he's talking to people, repent and be baptized. So, of course, the qualification for baptism is repentance. Repentance comes and then be baptized. And then in Acts chapter 18, we read, verse 8, Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. What comes first? Believed, and then they were baptized. So we need repentance, we need faith before we are baptised. And so for me, that then has to exclude children from baptism. Not because they can't repent, not because they can't trust Christ. I encourage children to do that all the time. But it's harder to work out whether they have repented and whether they have believed. Whereas an adult, you can actually have a better conversation with them and look at their lives and understand better whether they are truly repentant and whether they are, have truly believed. And so sometimes it's a case-by-case basis. Some younger children, I'm happy to baptise because they're much more mature and you can see good, strong evidence that they have repented and they have believed in Jesus Christ. But generally speaking... You reserve it for when they're much older and, in all likelihood, an adult so that you can evaluate whether they truly have repented and believed before they are baptised, as seems to be the biblical picture. The question then is, OK, that's who should be baptised, but how should people be baptised? And, of course, once again, I'm a Baptist and I believe that baptism is by immersion. It is by immersion. Firstly, my first reason for that is because the Greek word means means immerse. If you speak to people who know Greek, they know that the word means immerse. Other Greek writers outside the New Testament use the word baptise. It's not just for Christians to use. The, The apostles didn't make up the word. It was used outside the Bible. And so, for example, Josephus, a Jewish historian, he actually speaks about a ship being baptised in the Adriatic Sea, and we that were in it, being about 600 in number, swam for our lives all the night. Now, if a ship is baptised and people have to swim for their lives, does baptism mean sprinkling? Our ship was sprinkled and we had to swim for our lives. It doesn't. It cannot. It means immerse. The Greek word means immerse. And most people who sprinkle will admit that, but they say for pragmatic reasons and because of a lack of water, we don't immerse people. We use sprinkling. It's just a bit easier. Well, we're not into pragmatism. We're meant to do what God commands. And if he says immerse, if we translate the word baptize as immerse every time, well, then it gets pretty clear as to what we're supposed to do. 
we're supposed to be immersed. And we see that happening in the New Testament. The word baptised is actually used for, in other ways. We see it, um, food is immersed. It's, uh, it says in Mark chapter 14, verse 20, Jesus says, the one who dips baptises. It's interesting they change, they translate the word dip there instead of baptise. The one who dips bread into the bowl with me. Dipping bread. It's not sprinkling it in the bowl. It's dipping the bread. Baptise. The Greek word baptise for the bread. And also we see in the New Testament, the way that baptism is done, we see movement into and out of water. In Acts chapter 8, for example, it says, Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Down, up. Is that sprinkling? No, it has to be immersion. And then in, uh, we see that when baptism happens, people are usually around plenty of water. John the Baptist, I said I don't talk much about John the Baptist in my baptism classes because I want to focus on the Christian baptism, but we can learn about the subject of baptism and whether how it's done by how John baptised people. What do we read in John chapter 3, verse 23? It says, Now John was also baptising at Anon in Salim because there was plenty of water. And people were constantly coming to be baptised. If you're sprinkling, it doesn't, you don't need to be where there's plenty of water, even if there are people constantly coming to be baptised. But he was baptising by immersion, and so he needed plenty of water to be around. And also the symbolism that is associated with baptism in the New Testament, what baptism actually symbolises, implies immersion as well. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? Another type of baptism, being baptised into Christ's death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We've been buried with Christ in baptism. If you're immersed, what is that showing? You're going down underwater, being buried with water, and then coming back to new life. And that's what the picture is of baptism. The outward baptism shows what has already happened inside you, that you have been immersed into Christ's death, washed in his death, not sprinkled, immersed. You want to go fully into Christ's death and then come back up with him and have newness of life. And when you are baptised by immersion, you show that to people in a way that you don't with sprinkling. You show that you have gone down with Christ, been buried with him, and come back up with him. So how are we to be baptised? What is Christian baptism? It's by immersion of believers, and it's also in the name of the Trinity. We see that in Matthew 28, verse 19. It says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. This is Jesus commanding them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There's not much controversy on that one. But we've got to remember that. It's got to be into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Because baptism is a submission issue, and you're submitting to a particular person. And who is that person? Well, it's God in all three persons. But you may be saying, okay, well, this is interesting about baptism, but I wasn't really expecting this this morning on a Sunday morning, and it's all been a bit tedious learning about all these different types of baptism, and then Joel's been going on about his little hobby horse, because of course he's a Baptist minister, and he loves baptism, and he loves to point out that it's by immersion. And you're saying, well, what's the point of all this? Is it really worth bothering about? Is it worth dividing churches over? 
Is it worth having denominations that are different understandings of baptism? Why don't we all just get together, the Presbyterians, the Anglicans and the Baptists and, you know, and any other evangelical church and we combine and let's forget about baptism altogether. Maybe even this text says this because if you read the text, he's saying let's move on from teaching about baptisms. Is it worth bothering trying to work out baptism? Is this sermon this morning, I've spent 20 minutes talking about baptism already, has it been a big waste of time? Well, that brings me to my third main point this morning. Christian baptism is foundational. Christian baptism is a foundational doctrine of Christianity. Now, I've got to be careful here. Baptism is not vital for salvation. We've seen in this list of elementary teachings given for us in Hebrews chapter 6 that there are some things that are vital for salvation. What is that? Well, verse 1, Therefore let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. If you don't repent, you don't have salvation. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you don't have salvation. But if you don't get baptised, you can still go to heaven if you have repented and you have trusted in Jesus Christ. But we've got to remember it's still an important teaching. I mean, after all, he said here in verse 1, therefore let us leave the elementary teachings. It's a basic teaching of Christianity, baptism. And go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instructions about baptism. We cannot say that baptism saves us, that it is essential for salvation as some people do. The Roman Catholic Church, for example, does. It says it's vital for salvation. If you go to the Vatican website, the official website of the Roman Catholic Church, it says, through baptism we are freed from sin and reborn as sons of God. We become members, remember, through baptism, we become members of Christ and are incorporated into the church and made sharers in her mission. And then in quotes it has, baptism is the sacrament of regeneration through water in the word. And the Roman Catholic Church teaches that. Now, not all Roman Catholics may believe that, but the Roman Catholic Church teaches that. That's the official dogma of their church, official doctrine, is that you must be baptized if you wish to have regeneration, if you wish to have forgiveness of sins. And that's why we do it while they're young. We get them done so that they're safe. But that's not what the Bible teaches because there's at least one person who's in heaven who's not baptized. Who's that? The thief on the cross with Jesus Christ. He's hanging there. He asks Jesus to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. And what does Jesus say to him? Today you'll be with me in paradise. Did someone quickly go and get him down and put him, dunk him quick, put him back up? No, they couldn't do that. Yet he's in paradise. Unbaptized man in paradise. How do you explain that? Baptism doesn't save. It's an important teaching. It's an elementary teaching. It's a foundational teaching. It's something that should be taught to people, but it does not save. It's taught through the New Testament. Jesus commanded it. The apostles practiced it. And it's a wonderful witness to people about what has happened in your life. It's one of the most marvellous things. I love that about Baptist churches. We get so excited when people get baptised because we know what that then means. It means they've committed their lives to Christ and they're happy to tell everybody and do it in a strange way, which is kind of embarrassing. 
And so if they're happy to be embarrassed by getting up the front and going into water and coming back up again, then they must really have done something. There's a much greater likelihood that they are a changed person. And they're wanting everybody now to treat me as a brother and sister in Christ. And so it's a marvellous joy to have people baptised because it shows that there's a changed heart there. But even though it's a marvellous joy, it doesn't mean you are saved. It is not essential for salvation. And we must remember that. But we must remember that it is important nonetheless. It's a fundamental teaching. It's an elementary teaching. It's something worth dividing into different denominations over. I think it's a good and valid thing that we have Presbyterian churches, we have Anglican churches, and they are brothers and sisters in Christ, but on this issue, which is our secondary issue, remember it's not essential for salvation, we differ. And we follow our own conscience, and we, we do baptism in the way that we believe the Bible teaches. Because, why do we hold it up? Because it's a foundational, it's an elementary teaching of the Christian church. We, should no long, we shouldn't ignore it. But we must remember the authors of Hebrews' point here is not that they were just varied baptisms in the New Testament or that baptism is a fundamental of Christianity. He's got a particular point to make here in Hebrews chapter 6. After all, he's only said, what, three, three words about baptism here. Verse 2, instructions about baptism. What is his point in this passage? Well, that brings me to my fourth main point this morning. Christian baptism must be left behind. Christian baptism must be left behind. As important as baptism is, it shouldn't become the focus point of your church and that it's always the thing that is held up as the most important thing in your church. I mean, some people could think that about Baptist churches because it's in the name. We're Baptist churches. But often the names that are given to different denominations is because other people outside looking in and going, what makes you different? Oh, you do baptism. We don't do that. And so they call you Baptists. It just refers to what makes you distinctive from other people. But it mustn't become something that is the focus point of the church. And some, church, some Christians, different denominations, uh, very rare, they do regular baptisms. Getting regular. Every Sunday you come, just like you might have the Lord's Supper. You have the Lord's Supper regularly, we have baptism regularly. And we all go down to the river and we all get washed and show that we have our sins washed away. But the author of Hebrews wants us to know that we should move on from such, such a thing. That baptism isn't something you hang on to and trust in. Because some people, they do, they focus on their baptism and they think that that is what certifies them and will make them strong. You ask them, why are you a Christian? Or what makes you a Christian? They say, I've been baptised. Particularly if you've got people like the Roman Catholic Church teaching that it's a form of salvation. I've even heard that when I was in the school playground. People say, oh yes, I was baptised, I'm Okay. We must move on from the subject of baptism. That's what he's saying here. He says in verse 6, Therefore let us leave the elementary teachings, leave them about Christ, and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instructions about baptism. We need to move on from it. We can't just focus on baptism and think that's the be-all and end-all of us. We focus on repentance, we focus on faith, and we focus on baptism. And that's what makes us a strong person, is our baptism. No. Because when hard times come, the fact that you've been baptised as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ 
isn't going to get you through the tough times. What gets you through tough times? What stops you drifting away as the people in Hebrews are tempted to do? Well, it's going to be the teachings that are going to come in the next few chapters. In chapter 7, 8, 9, about Christ and his righteousness. Remember what it says back in verse 13. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. And I've said before in previous sermons that he's working up to a point of you need to be acquainted with teaching about righteousness. And that's going to be the righteousness of Jesus Christ as the next few chapters will make clear. And so baptism is something that you need to move on from. Get baptized, yes, it is an elementary teaching. But then move on and learn more about Jesus Christ so that when struggles come into your life, when temptations come along, when you think of abandoning Christianity, what will stop you? It'll be your love for Jesus Christ, your understanding of who he is and what he has done at the cross, that by his sacrifice your sins are paid for, that he loves you so much that he was willing to give his life for you. That is what will make you strong and mature in the faith. Not focusing on your baptism. Some churches give out certificates of, you know, you got baptised on this date by this person. You might hang it on your wall. You can do that, but by looking at that hanging on your wall, it's not going to make you mature in the faith. Maturity in the faith comes from studying and understanding and loving Jesus Christ which we'll see in subsequent chapters as we work through this book in Hebrews. So my question for you this morning is, well, questions, is have you learned what baptism is all about? Different types of baptism going on in the New Testament. Have you learned what baptism is for you and what you need to do about baptism? Have you been baptised? Recognising it is a fundamental of Christianity. Some denominations these days are leaving it behind. We don't do baptism because it just divides. We don't worry about it. Do you recognise that it is a fundamental of Christianity, as the author of Hebrews says here? And then have you moved on from your baptism to learn more about Christ and his righteousness? Or do you think you get baptised and then you can go and live your life and do whatever you like? That's not Christianity. Christianity, mature Christians, grow in Jesus Christ. Are you growing in Jesus Christ? Are you focusing on things like baptism to keep you strong? Let us speak with our God now. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for what it teaches us about what are the fundamentals of the Christian faith and how best we can serve you. We thank you for all the instructions that you give us about baptism. We thank you for your commands. We do recognize they are right and true because they are from you. Lord, we pray that you may help us to be as obedient as possible to the commands given in Scripture, even commands to be baptized. Lord, we pray that we may not think lightly of such commands, but recognise they are from you, and we pray that we may follow our conscience and do what you have commanded. But Lord, we pray that we may not make things like baptism primary issues, issues of salvation. And we pray that we may not make them into things that give us some sort of assurance that we're going to be okay or a focus point for us when we struggle. Lord, we pray that we may do, indeed do what you have commanded in your word, to leave them, go on to maturity, so that we can focus on Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. We pray that we may indeed be acquainted with his righteousness and glory in it. And we pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.